Hi, everyone. Welcome to Zori's Take One. And if you're new here, welcome. This is a podcast of all creative people. And I'm super excited for today's episode because I have a special guest, Josh Cho, who is an LA native commercial photographer, artist, and educator. And I'm super excited to have a conversation with him. And yeah, so welcome to my podcast, Josh. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Zori. It's uh, exciting to be on your on your program. I've been listening to a few episodes and I think it's a fantastic thing that you're running. So um, congrats on your on your whole podcast series. And it's been going really well, it looks like. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate that. So just starting off a little bit, I mentioned in your intro that you're an LA native. A lot of people find that shocking, you know, when you tell people you're from LA because so many people come here because it's so exciting and, you know, it's an industry city. So how, how I want to get your perspective as an LA native being a artist growing up, you know, versus someone who's just moving to the city, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I, I am a native to LA. I, I grew up in, um, I grew up basically in mid Street district and yeah, kind of just relocated a, a few times, but kind of stayed mm-hmm. around mid city of Los Angeles um, through my you know early childhood and formative years in high school. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't know exactly how to characterize the experience of like a native versus someone outside of the, of the city, because I didn't come outside of the city to migrate here to, mm-hmm. um, uh, to either uh, go to college or you know um, relocate as a as a teenager because I imagine that's a very unique experience. I know my wife is outside. Uh, she came in from Michigan, and so I sh- I sort of uh, get a second you know account her experiences you know with like the things that she sort of grew up with culturally living outside of uh, Southern California and outside of California in general, which is a pretty mm-hmm. big difference from the Midwest culture versus out here in Southern California, but you know, so I, I don't want to make too many assumptions as, as far as how to compare the experiences, but um, I do. I do know your sort of um, inquiry about, or your interest in, in, you know, in offering that as a topic of, of questions, since we're both natives and we, we yeah. both come through experiences of like having conversations in multiple scenarios and environments where you'll you'll bump into creatives or just anybody you know outside of just the arts where you'll. You might you might hear somebody go, "Wow, you're from Los Angeles." That's <laughs> usually the, the common uh, response is that they say we we don't rarely ever meet people native to Los Angeles or or like right. it's rare that we ever. So it's like that surprise is 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 the um, sort of the rare moment that someone outside of LA who comes to LA witnesses someone from LA and realizes, oh, there are in fact people that grew up in Los Angeles. But right. I always thought LA was just an interesting city to grow up in because it always seemed like there was no real sort of, at least to me, there was no real like um, codified identity of what an Angelina was. You know, there mm-hmm. was no, there's no like foothold as far as what a Los Angeles is and should look like or what it was supposed to be just because the city seems so kind of uh, an abyss of, of identity, uh, an abyss of sort of lost identities or changing identities. Because it's, it's such a city that brings in so many people outside of the city to make to make a career or to go to school or you know to relocate out here for the weather, whatever the reasons might be for Hollywood. Mm-hmm. That 
um, or music, you know, and arts, of course, a big, big part. But yeah, like growing up in the city, knowing like what uh, an Angelino is, is, is always kind of open-ended, like an open-ended question. I always thought that was the constant of being an Angelino is that there wasn't like sort of, yeah, like a stern identity of what a citizen of LA would be like. Right. Look like. And I always thought that was kind of cool. And that was interesting and fascinating when I would visit other cities like New York or Boston or Chicago. There were more of these sort of like, um, at least the appearance of the cities always seemed a lot more kind of clear as to what they were about. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know how well I answered that <laughs> question, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is a common stereotype that like most people in LA are not from LA. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is that when you go, when you go to the school systems, I'm sure you went through LA, the LA school systems. If you grew up in Los Angeles, I'm not sure which school systems you went through, but I went through the yeah. LUSD and same LUSD all the way. <laughs> yeah. And so when you, when you go through the school systems, you meet everybody that's from LA, right? Like mm-hmm. at least if you started from K to 12, you're with kids and you're with middle schoolers and you're with teenagers in high school that are growing up with you in the same neighborhood and they're, they're from Los Angeles. Um, yeah, some of them might be recent migrants or, but you know, when you're growing up that early, everyone's pretty much growing up in the city at the same time. And then you still maybe have contacts with those students, right? And then they are the ones that are quote unquote native. But I mean, in the bigger picture, right? We're all sort of migrants, right? My yeah. Korea and they migrated here. They're not, they were native. They were not native, right? I guess the Tongva uh, Native Americans are I guess the natives, right? And then, um, yeah, they came to the States in the 80s and I ended up getting, you know, I ended up growing up in Los Angeles and uh, yeah, that's sort of my really quick summarizing of my experiences, I guess, of being an Angelina. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know um, know that about you. So I learned something new. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, LA natives were, it seems like we're rare, but we're not. <laughs> you know yeah I think it's because it's such a big city that you run into a, a, pl- a lot of people from outside the city and then of course yeah there are natives too and so you find them but they're kind of peppered in because yeah a lot of people kind of come in I feel like into the city yeah um, yeah I had just I facetimed my friend the other day we're doing a shoot sometime soon and he's from Florida and it was one of our I think it was like he, we're new friends kind of and he was like I asked him how long he's been in LA and he said a few years and he asked me and I, you know I was like I'm a I was born and raised here and he was like oh really <laughs> so seeing the shock on people's face when you say that it's always kind of funny you know <laughs> yeah but yeah um, it's it's, just, it's as if it's almost that we're somehow um it's almost as if like it's sort of exotic for someone outside yeah <laughs> you know, they're, like, they're kind of like bewildered and fascinated they're all like did you grow up with any you know actors or something like that like I, I remember you know usually that's a really stereotypical question you know yeah they're like yeah like I remember when Leonardo DiCaprio was apparently like a high school <laughs> a student of my, of my high school or something and like you hear about these stories growing up or if classmates that end up like going into into film and become pretty famous yeah definitely yeah, I feel like it, it's an interesting topic to me, but um, I want to get into your photography a little bit more. So can you tell people about 
what sparked your interest in architecture photography? You know, I think architecture photography was something that developed while I was at Santa Monica College. I went to Santa Monica College for my early training and it was a commercial photography um, track program. You know, it was a, a CTE program among um, many of the city colleges that have photography programs are CTE based, like El Camino College mm-hmm. is also CTE, career technical education. And their program was kind of geared towards, you know, learn the craft, learn the technique, and then go and um, work in the field as a commercial photographer. And I, you know, I, when I was in the program, I really enjoyed uh, the aspect of, of being a photographer, even with the possibility of making it to a career, it sounded like a dream. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I recalled was in our, in our last year, uh, or in our, you know, towards our second year, we have these, um, you know, the upper division portfolio classes. And one of the things that I remembered kind of really uh, understanding was that uh, specializing in a particular photography is like kind of the, the, one of the sort of, I think, key points that I got in this portfolio classes. And if you want to be successful as a commercial photographer, you kind of have to figure out that one thing that you're really good at so that it can sort of separate yourself from the other photographers to, to be able to, you know, to be able to get large gigs and, and make a career out of it. And so I think mm-hmm. one of the things that I noticed was that um, I was into a lot of different genres of photography and it's really hard for me to decide which specialty to get into. And I think, I think part of the reason why I veer towards architecture was, was oh, I, I initially loved taking pictures of buildings. I was really into fashion prior to architecture. And what I found out was that my architect, architecture photographs seemed to get more response than my fashion photographs in class. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was sort of a matter of just like realizing where my, um, yeah, where my strong suit was, like as far as the the way of handling and making pictures within the, within that genre, that I realized that I had a, a stronger sort of, um, mm-hmm. and I had a, a, a talent for that than maybe my fashion foot photographs look like. So I and put my eggs into that basket. And when I was a student at SMC, I also took on assisting gigs and and took on side assignments as a freelancer like you know very rarely but I had like one or two clients uh, while I was in college and I that I did some shoots that were for an architect and I really loved it it was really great assisting architect photographers um there were two uh dominant ones that I was assisting for at the time in Los Angeles Benny Chan uh still currently runs a business and is an architect photographer in Los Angeles and then Henry Henry Kabbalah and uh, really enjoyed the um, the whole atmosphere environment of meeting, working with creatives, designers, architects, interior designers, and going on loca- going on location, uh, looking at a new building, and kind of problem solving um, how to light space and uh, create a picture that was going to be uh, worth lo- worth looking at for the for both the client and also the client's audience. And so I thought that whole production was really fascinating. I really thought it was, it was a very fun, uh, it was a fun experience on top of it. I think um, there's a bit of this aspect of, you're not really traveling very far to these locations because they're often within, you know, the county. Mm -hmm. But um, 
it's not like you're in a studio, right? Right. You're, you're on location, which is kind of a really fun part to photography, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I mentioned that a lot to my students, you know, as far as like photography is this great practice and medium that kind of gives you an excuse to leave the front door. And, you know, you don't have to be inside of a studio. Like, you know, uh, I don't want to name what particular mediums do this often, but, you know, mm-hmm. staring at your picture for hours and set up a white cube, you know. Yeah. <laughs> photography gives you this... Um, this uh inherent part of the parts of the practice where you you go outside and witness the world and um yeah and I really kind of I thrived on that and uh that's kind of where where my interest kind of uh led to yeah um into architecture photography I was also really into landscape photography and I make I often used to make a lot of the comparisons between the two even though of course they're very different Mm -hmm. but you know as far as like location um, I was really into landscape photography before I got into any part of, to the commercial aspects of photography. And I was doing a lot of that as a sort of personal sort of interest. And of course, was really inspired by all the really old school, late great, you know, F64 photographers. Yeah. Um, and um, architecture seemed to be like a great alternative to the outlet of like photographing large, large objects fixed, not moving, mm-hmm. um, going to locations in different parts of the city. And yeah. That that's awesome, and I could see where landscape and architecture share a lot of similarities. Um, but yeah, that's cool. You did some internships and kind of went under, you know, a mentor's wing, kind of, and learned diff- a, a new aspect to photography. And kind of that that's what you were saying. Kind of switched your um, shift your mind a little bit to do actually doing architecture photography so I think that's cool learning um and that's why we need mentors you know learning through different how to do different things in different ways or things we didn't even think of before you know so um yeah I always I always um I always recommend having a mentor even if it's course someone close to to you know within the school systems of course is a really easy access to finding mentors um uh if if professors have the the ability and time that's why full-time professors are actually really really important for for school systems for both city Mm -hmm. colleges and universities just because um they're really they're the ones really on campus most of the time to be able to afford the extra time beyond the classroom to facilitate that kind of relationship Right. um, I always try to mentor as many students as I can. And, um, you know, there's already, uh, you know, a handful that I'm I'm, I'm constantly getting communications with, you know, back and forth through messaging and just inquiries about jobs and um, aspects of getting into the commercial industry to like, you know, like, how do I like this like subject? (laughs) Um, But assisting even a photographer as as a way of getting that kind of um, tutelage that sort of, uh, you know, the uh, sort of mentor apprenticeship sort of relationship, I think is so invaluable. And I got lucky that I was able to get a couple of those kinds of experiences mm-hmm. for, for a few years I was assisting. And so um, I learned a lot through that um, experience. It's not those kinds of experience when you work with, with a seasoned veteran in whatever genre of photography you get into is irreplaceable. It's really hard to kind of get that get the some of that kind of material from right you know, kind of a classroom setting and college setting which of course has its 
the educational system is really, I think, of course, important in its own way. But yeah, apprenticing someone, I think, is is just a really great experience if you can do that in the beginning stages. Yeah, definitely. I feel like because it's one thing to learn the material, but actually putting it into practice and seeing someone putting it into practice is a different way of learning as well. So um, speaking of, you know, photography and architecture and landscapes, can, for people that aren't too familiar, um, but might have an idea of what, of what architecture photography is, can you break down what it entails a little bit? Yeah, um, I just drive to a building and then start taking pictures of a building. <laughs> um, uh, it's sort of a, obviously purposely crass and I'm being sarcastic, but somewhat truthful <laughs> and that's basically kind of what it is. Um, the buildings are of course, uh, can include a residential building. It could be a condo, it could be in a big apartment complex with like 50 units. Mm -hmm. um, it can be a smaller building. Um, such as a storefront selling um, apparel and on Melrose uh, in West Hollywood. It can be a restaurant, um, it can be a cafe, um, it can be a, you know, there's a, what's really kind of great with being an architect photographer and being so fortunate to have um, uh, been able to work with a lot of clients is just the variety of spaces that I've been able to photograph and variety of uh, creatives that, you know, have done um, projects that kind of span across lots of different types of um, spaces and and, mm -hmm. um, and functions for those spaces, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, one, one of the kind of, I guess, constant big clients that I've had in the past few years have been in the hospitality industry. So photographing the hospitality industry involves the, um, industry of hotels and, and travel and spaces for, for, for travel. And so I've been photographing hotels um, and that's kind of led into traveling a bit and um, going to these really amazing spaces, of course, and getting to photograph them, you know, with like a brand new, you know, everything's like brand new and all lit up and it's really gorgeous. And that experience is also mixed in by the next week shooting, uh, let's say like a like a cafe um, or mm -hmm. uh, an apparel shop. And yeah, um, that's kind of what it is. Though. It's, a, it's, it's first and foremost a, you know, a building um, and it's photographing a building both in the, uh, both uh, exteriors as well as photographing the inside of the building, the interiors for any number of client that needs photographs for their marketing purposes. Mm -hmm. And often the clients are the creative designers, either interior designers, architects, or sometimes it's like the art directors of like companies that need, yeah, pictures directly for a larger company. The larger companies like uh, are often not the designers themselves that I end up working with directly. It's always like a, the marketing side or the art director side. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of, um, makes sense when it's a big company like that they relay the role of communication with photographers via um, the uh, the directors that kind of handle the promotional side of things and not necessarily the designer that you know designed the building itself right so you're most of the time you're 
um, connecting with directors, you would say? Oh, well, no, it's a mixture. It'll be like directors, architects, interior designers. Yeah, it kind of spans the, the entire gamut. Okay, just depending on which client yeah. clients you have. Okay. Yeah, if it's a big client, if it's like a big company, um, it'll be like I, I did a recent shoot with, and I'm not, I don't know how to pronounce this quite well. It's kind of sad, but maybe it's Saint Laurent. I don't know. How to pronounce oh, yeah. It. French. It's a French. Yeah. Saint Laurent. <laughs> Saint Laurent. YSL. I think that's the easiest way I can say it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're a large um, luxury boutique company. And um, when I did a shoot for them, I've, I've done a couple of shoots for them now since January this year as a recent client. And I'm not in communication with the designers they're right. all they're all from the marketing side team in, in France and so um they tell me kind of what they have in mind and of course all these companies always have like this big marketing branding sheet of like what I'm supposed to sort of aim for which is not which is very common because there's because they're such a big company mm-hmm. and um and then if I'm not working with big companies like that um I you know for, I work with directly with architects often too so yeah um, yeah so yeah, they range. Can, yeah they can change yeah I can imagine architects want wanting you know their work to be photographed for their portfolio and you know for their clients as well so it's a cool I guess you could say train of how things circulate in this in the art world you know and business world as well um <laughs> yeah and you know some of them were photographers you know I'll like I'll look into sometimes their background from just kind of either through um uh you know after doing a shoot I'll connect with them on Instagram and I'll find out they're in fact even though they're a creative director for this company they have a side hustle where they're actual really good photographers and they're probably actually um they do it you know they they it's not even a hustle it's like they're an actual legitimized really well-known photographer mm-hmm. and they have an amazing portfolio and they run a business on their own and it's um outside of the company you know mm-hmm. it's its own thing and and I'm like I'm like dumbfounded I'm like oh well I'm like I'm also not too surprised because it's like it's a very common thing that you'll find out in the industry that like people work in director roles within the creative side it's a creative director art director they've all had backgrounds in art, of course, in order right. to that position. So they were once graphic designers, uh, interior designers, photographers, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's the cool thing about connecting with clients. You know, you always learn something new about them, especially new clients. Like you were just saying, some architects will be really great photographers, but um, I don't know. I always find that fascinating, finding out what you know, my client's hobbies are or professions, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I like finding out the ones that I'm going to have like a long-term relationship because it's ones right. that are like kind of one project, one and done that, you know, I'm like, it's less, it's less of a, um, uh, you know, it's a less of a sort of committed thing where, or what, what's, what's, how's, how am I just articulated? Like if I'm, I'm only working them once and I don't see them again, I'm not going to yeah. be that interested in 
looking at their background. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the ones that I, the ones that I've been w- with working with for four or five years, and I find out later through, you know, naturally through looking at their Instagram or whatever, I'm like, oh, wow, they're actually amazing artists in their own right. That's yeah. really cool. It's really cool to know that. And then, and they don't like advertise it when we're working, you know, they don't go, you know, I'm an artist too, Josh. <laughs> they're there yeah. working for a company and they're just, the mission is to get this project documented properly. And so right. they're, they're not promoting themselves. And so it's, it's kind of this thing where as an artist, you realize there's a sort of like kind of humbleness to it. It's like they, they have their own practices or some, not all of them, but when some of them do, mm-hmm. you realize that they actually are amazing artists in their own right. It's like, wow. I'm working with another artist and they like didn't even tell me I didn't even know about this I found found out about on my own through happenstance you know it's kind Mm -hmm. of a cool feeling yeah definitely and uh you just said something you know when you're on location they're not mentioning they're an artist so uh I always wonder do when you go to photograph um a space or is someone usually there like the director or um do you just go after you know location scouting and you have shots in mind i, I was say, always curious about that yeah yeah it's a great, great question Zori. i think it's it's probably like pretty close to split 50 50 um, okay yeah there are times where the clients will just send me out and no one's there and i get full sort of control and reign on what the images will look like because there's mm-hmm. no one there to um approve of the shots or disapprove right and they're like the other half the time the director the designer you know the interior design architect whomever is there and they're they're supervising the shoot they're there like kind of coordinating the shots they're helping with arranging the scene a lot of the architectural pictures that I make especially the interior shots have a lot of adjusting furniture and um, you know repositioning every single chair and prop that's on the table or adding props or you know removing props and that takes a lot of time so if there's if the if the client is there they're often there to kind of help out with that and it's always of course helpful and you know there's there's definitely pros and cons to both aspects of working with the client on site and without Mm -hmm. obviously the biggest pro working just on your own is that um you're kind of on your own. So you have like kind of just, you know, the freedom to kind of exercise your, your uh, willpower being creative. Yeah. And and you hope that of course the work that you make is um, going to be satisfied or is going to be your clients can be satisfied with, but Mm -hmm. when the client is there, the, um, the pro is that they're able to kind of, reassure you that the picture was what they wanted right so there's no question at the end after the work has been documented that they're like wait a minute why didn't we get this angle or how come or we forgot to get this angle right mm-hmm. that yeah. confusion is cleared up because they're there and um they're there to help with arranging the scene sometimes they're there to give you access to some of these spaces sometimes i like um you know the, one of the kind of scary things for me is always getting to the site and I can't get in either it's mm-hmm. locked security guard wasn't there um most of the time I feel like that that gets teased out worked on or through communication and I often try to get there prior to the shoot day mm-hmm. with, with um scouting the location and that and that scouting day is like basically like one of the main 
goals of that that day is to just address any issues with like getting into the building and how to make sure all the lights are turned on and if there's anything that isn't right something looks wrong there's a missing furniture or whatever it might be i can address that before the yeah. actual shoot day yeah um i might have been kind of going off a tangent there but no you're good <laughs> like it's split yeah half and half yeah i could see that because you know i i mainly do portraits which i really enjoy and i've noticed sometimes if someone goes with the person you know getting their photos taken there's pros and cons to it, like you were just saying, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, because I remember there was this one shoot where this girl's mom was there and I, I totally get it. You know, the mom wanted specific looks, but uh, yeah. there were definitely some downsides to that as well, you know? <laughs> yeah. But um, I don't know it, if it's like analogous to like watching a chef make your dinner or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good uh comparison like you go to subway and you can tell the person how to make your subway sandwich versus having it already pre-made for you yeah definitely (laughs) pop deli that has the (laughs) kitchen closed from viewing yeah it's probably a poor analogy but yeah i no it's a a good analogy there's um yeah there are pros and cons for both and um if i'd prefer one over the other i actually prefer having the client there because of the uh, there's like a lot of enjoyment on my end with working mm-hmm. with clients. Yeah. Cause I, right. I'm so fortunate to work with like really great, amazing clients. And, um, and there's, there's, you know, it's kind of, it's a little bit of a, a, a sort of lone ranger kind of feeling to go into a big building by yourself. Yeah. And like you, you see the security guard just like watching whatever they're watching on their, on their iPhones on YouTube. <laughs> and it's just like this dead sort of yeah. like, quite contemplated it can be kind of cool but it's also kind of nice to when the when the client is there there's a lot of there's a lot of collaboration and so there's a lot of like kind of both parties both the photographer and the client create the image it's not just the photographer right that's actually a lot of fun I I I do prefer that more than the former actually it's it's just kind of a fun thing to be able to interact with another creative on site so Right. And then the client gets to know you a little bit better and see your work yeah. process. So Yeah. It becomes more personable. And, yeah. um, and I always like that. I mean, I think the fun part to commercial photography for me is always the relationships that you have with people. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And because that'll lead to good word of mouth and then more clients will come. <laughs> Yeah, and I just I just enjoy being around other artists or other creatives. It's it's yeah, it's just kind of a fun, Same. fun moment. You know, it's a yeah. really great cool experience to have. I feel like artists we get each other because you know you can make a joke and someone who doesn't really understand art or um, the art form you're talking about, they won't really get it. You know, or just you know we go through a lot of the same. Uh, struggles I feel like as artists so it's definitely comforting to be around other artists and talk through things you know and that's part of the reason why I started this podcast to you know pick my friends brains a little bit about their art forms and what they enjoy about it and what they don't enjoy about it so yeah right right. yeah and I would say like one of the privileges of 
being um, like an architect photographer, and I imagine this is probably the case with being an advertising photographer or a fashion photographer, is that our clients are part of the creative, you know, world. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in other, maybe other genres of photography, you, you, your relationships with your clients are more just kind of maybe non-creatives. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely that part that I really, I do, um, I'm absolutely, in, in, um, I'm fond with, and you know, I really love that aspect. That's awesome. <laughs> so I kind of want to move on a little bit. I, I love yeah. uh, hearing what you enjoy about photography and working with your clients and what you, how you got started in architecture photography, but you're also an educator. You're a professor. So I kind of want to know how that started and what made you want to start teaching photography? Yeah, um, I think that like the main sort of, um, I guess like interest in education was through enjoying my time as a student. That's really kind of where the kernel started as far as like the road to being a professor. Like I really thrived being in an educational environment not so much in high school, but in college after high school. Like I almost was a high school dropout. I don't know if you know about that. Oh, really? I did poorly in high school. I almost flunked out. Wow. But um, yeah, and, and City College was was a, was really for me a saving grace. Like, which is why I am so much of this sort of support of the concept of a public city college, you know, mm-hmm. community college concept or um, system. Um, right because it really is a second chance for a lot of people um, and it's virtually free for a lot of people. So yeah, um, I, uh, I really, um, and if it's not free, it's considerably less than a university. Oh yeah. Much less. <laughs> um, so I really like thrived in being in a community college environment. I had some amazing professors. That's probably another part of it too, is that I was really fortunate to work with some really great professors at Santa Monica and, and of course, after leaving, you know, my two-year program at Santa Monica College, uh, going to a four-year university, transferring out as a sophomore to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. And then, um, and then, and then I really, at that moment, I was really into um, making work, actually not commercially at all. I didn't do much commercial work at that point, because I was really fascinated with the art, the art practice of photography. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to look into grad schools and then I went to UC Irvine for grads for graduate school and I got my master's there in, in art and that's kind of where it, the educational practice was solidified because at UC Irvine I went there and they had this great opportunity for most if not all of the students to be able to teach their own class like an introductory course in their in their field that they were specialized in so I got I got to teach photography there by the end of my first year and it's a three it was a three-year program most grad schools are two years but it was a UC Irvine is known as being um or uh, UC Irvine is a three-year program and there's a few of them that are three years but most of them are two so I got I had basically about two and a half years of being able to teach and I loved it like and I knew what I, and I knew I would have um and I knew that I would really like it before but it was like when I actually had my first class at UC, UC Irvine and I really enjoyed it. I, it was, a, it was confirmed that, you know, teaching was certainly something I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. That's amazing that you got that practice, you know, while you were still in school and that really 
confirmed it that you wanted to teach. Um, I, my guest last week, he, he actually teaches at Elko as well. Um, he said he, he had a similar experience as you kind of um, doing like a practice uh practicing teaching you know before graduating so I think that's cool that schools offer that for people aspiring to be educators because you get to have the actual practice you know of how it would be when you're actually a educator yeah um you know the UC system um I don't know about the Cal States, whether they do that or not, but I know the UCs where, you know, cause I went, I went to UC for grad school. They, I think Cal States probably do it too, but I don't have a way of confirming that cause I never asked, but um, the UC system do, do a pretty good job with a lot of grad programs to get students to teach their own classes. And it's not um, something that they require. It's sort of often just as an offer. If you didn't want to teach a class, you would just, um, you could take an, a teaching assistantship, you know, where you TA mm -hmm. for a professor's class, but um, uh, this, the UCs kind of are not entirely doing it out of their own complete goodwill. Uh, <laughs> it's certainly a great um, opportunity among the graduate students, but so what happens is also the UCs benefit from this, um, this sort of bartering, um, uh, you know, Sort of, it's a sort of bartering kind of concept where graduate students they get offered to teach a class in graduate school, but what occurs is that the UCs essentially they they have one less adjunct professor to pay because that class is being taught by a graduate student, right? Mm, so I see. yeah, it's a huge win for the college too. It's a win-win. It's a it's a very much a mutual benefit, you know, mm -hmm. mutual beneficial relationship where the graduate students teach a course and then the school system basically, you know has, um, yeah, less, uh, less adjuncts or full-time professors, frankly, right, to pay for. And, and then the graduate students benefit, of course, is to get that extra experience and right. um, being able to come out of grad school knowing that they've already taught a uh, college class in a university, university setting. But, right. Um, yeah, and I, I forgot to leave out, and it's such an important key to why I wanted to teach. And it's just, it comes down to just being passionate about the subject. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the con confirmation of teaching at UC Irvine and enjoying it was, of course, the enjoyment of my relationships with, with my students. That's like first and foremost was like the aspect of seeing the students grow and sharing knowledge to students as much as I could and much as I can and, and watching them grow, you know, and it's kind of a great, it's a, it's, it's a very, um, you know, you have these relationships with students and it becomes like really personal sometimes, you know, it's like, kind of look at them as like sort of like children in some regard I guess not children like they're young and but just yeah. they're really kind of they're they're a product of what what you put into the class in some level and I feel like there's like a huge responsibility as a teacher with you know knowing that at least for me mm -hmm. but it's such a um, fulfilling aspect to the job it's a, an immense fulfilling um, aspect and uh, one that's really kind of a privileged position to be in and I uh, really still what's great about teaching is that that has never that's never that aspect has never dulled down throughout you know um, 10 yeah. years since after grad school I've been teaching that's amazing that you still feel I guess excited and fulfilled teaching you know because some people might be like like you said you're 10 years into it some people might say oh I'm I want to move on to something else you know but it sounds like 
that you're still really passionate about it and which I can see too um, in your teaching style. So oh, yeah, of course. Um, well, you were a passionate student, sorry. <laughs> thank you. In your, uh, yeah, in your production and class and in your inquiry and just constant, you know, presence it was just awesome to have you as my student. Thank you. I, I loved having you as a professor. And honestly, I learned yeah. a lot about, I, architecture photography didn't even, I didn't even think I would have an interest in it, but because, you know, I'm, I primarily shoot portraits and street photography, but right. Uh, the yeah. skyline Maybe. assignment really encouraged me to do that more. Yeah, and your street and portrait work is is amazing. It's really really great. It's Thank just, you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um certainly it feels like it's already ready to go out in the world, like you know, and um, really kind of just uh, already looks like it's polished in 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 the commercial world. So. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> that means a lot, honestly. Yeah. But moving on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> moving on a little bit. I know uh, I want to be conscious of your time. Yeah, I, I tend to give lengthy answers. So I'm going to try to speed up. I don't know. Um, oh, no, I, I love it. Um, you're giving you're dropping a lot of gems for the audience. <laughs> so moving on a little bit. I know you you love music. You know, I know you were saying you don't consider yourself a musician. I, I do, but um, can you tell people like what oh. your musical journey kind of is? <laughs> yeah, um, I I guess I was a musician like in high school is where um, I played a lot of, I mean, I started playing piano at a really young age. My, my parents kind of um, picked that instrument for me. <laughs> so stereotypical, um, you know, sort of, life as being a, a growing up with Asian parents like they kind of offer you a piano or a violin and that's the instrument I was playing and but I think I still I actually looking back I think that it's a good it's a, a piano is a great initial instrument to be definitely introduced with as far as a musical instrument to learn all the scales and keys and stuff so I'm actually quite grateful that they did that and I enjoyed it I mean it wasn't like a struggle like it wasn't but um yeah I would say like from like maybe age six or seven I started playing the piano taking lessons and then my brother who I would say is really yeah he's the professional you know he's he's a practicing professional musician went to went to school for it he's the musician in the family and I would say he's probably the first sort of like person in the family because he's older than me to kind of go into the train of the arts you know as like a actual career path and mm -hmm. um probably set the stones for me to go into the arts as well but not in music in the visual arts as a photographer. But I would say right around 12, age 12 is when I started to pick up the drums because my brother was already playing guitar and we, you know, we basically played together in our own house, jammed, you know, as a small, just, you know, me and him, two person band. Mm -hmm. And then I played jazz. Um, I played in the jazz band in high school at, at um, LECES, uh, Los Angeles Center for Furniture Studies. It's also known as Laces. And uh, there was a great music teacher there at the time. Yeah. Um, Mark Monarch and um, we, I played there for a few years with um, the jazz band and I was pretty into I was I would say yeah, I would probably say that I was a musician then because um, I was so involved in it but um, I think right around my juniors when I um, I I kind of just I think out of maybe re rebellion not wanting to follow my brother's path I decided <laughs> to just drop music entirely it was sort of just a weird 
kind of, um, it was definitely a reactionary kind of decision, you know, it wasn't at all rational and um, just was like a, you know, stubborn teen and like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be like my older brother. And so I, I got into a different, um, you know, medium entirely. And, right. And I didn't know if I would really honestly be into photography. It was just sort of kind of happened. But yeah, music has always been part of my life just because I grew up with it. My brother's in it, um, you know, professionally. And I still, of course, really love listening to new artists. And I listen to mostly a lot of the old stuff. But I still, and I also still play the drums because it's um, something that I, I still enjoy. And, you know, I've, I guess, you know, I had a brief moment, like a two year spurt where I was in a band and we played in, we played in venues. Um, and this was like 2016, roughly around that time. So like five, six years ago. And we played in a few venues in Los Angeles. It was like a, we were a, a punk band. There's a, you know, there was four of us in the band and it's like a, uh, you know, standard rock band and mm-hmm. um, played mostly punk. And, uh, I still That's play with cool. them, you know, I still play with some of them in the garage now and again. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say now it's more of like a, a hobby, a personal, like long sort of, yeah, a uh, hobby, passion that um, I don't think I'll ever stop playing the drums. But as far as like uh, professionalizing it, I don't think I, I don't think, um, I don't think you can professionalize in, uh, uh, in a lot of things. Right. So it's like, I don't, yeah. I don't think I have time to do it, but it's always in my life. Yeah. And I, what I think is great about music for me is that it's this thing that I don't have to take too seriously because I'm not a professional in it. Right. I didn't study mm-hmm. in it. I studied art. I studied photography. I have a commercial practice as a photographer, not as a musician. So music for me is like this really great outlet because I, there are no, there are no stakes. Like, and I'm not, I'm not playing drums in the garage to impress anybody there's no responsibilities as far as like what I'm supposed to play and how to deliver the music. And I'm just, I'm just noodling most of the time playing with my headphones with songs mm-hmm. that I really, really love to play with. But that part to me has been such a kind of a really, um, what do you call it? Uh, it's a very just um, special and, you know, it's almost like quiet time. Yeah. <laughs> so that I can just have fun, you know, cause working with a client it's fun but it's just a different aspect you know you have all these responsibilities yeah and you're still working at the same time yeah it's still a job and yeah I really love the aspect of like since I'm not a professional musician I'm not doing it for work and I'm really just kind of doing it just to have fun and I think that's such a um I think for me uh, that has been a really really big blessing as far as what music has provided for me in the past few years yeah. especially during COVID I think that I think that's when I started to come back to playing drums because everyone's back at home yeah and I, and I was just fortunate to have a garage space because it's not it's not an easy thing it's not an easy instrument for most people to have and I right. totally understand that like that was the reason why a long time I couldn't play enough space for it and so yeah I'm I'm in that boat right now I can't yeah. play the acoustic set at yeah. my place so yeah yeah that's cool that you, I remember you saying that you got um, a new drum set, I believe, and just picked it back up. And that's amazing that that's another creative outlet that you have, because even as artists, we need some other artistic outlet, in my opinion, that's not, that's something we could take that's not so serious. Um, so we could take that pressure off, you know, yeah, and just have fun with it. Like you were saying, how you have fun with it, playing along to your favorite songs or just 
doing whatever you know yeah yeah it's like once this once the yeah the pressure and the stakes and the expectations are are kind of absolved and not there you have this like this really kind of childlike freedom which is hard to hard to really emulate if you're if you're a professional if you professionalize in something and so because the responsibilities start to rack up when you are a professional like yeah run and that part of like getting into um um, any kind of art where it doesn't have to be just music it can be in you know being a ceramicist or you know there are plenty of, a lot of people that do hot like they're hobby artists and mm-hmm. um and sometimes they try to of course make um sales of that work um right online and i i think that that's great you know there's something about that it's really sincere and um uh but also just really it's just a really i think for me just like a really big stress reliever when it comes down to it <laughs> yeah definitely especially playing drums I know when yeah. I would play yeah. it would relieve a lot of stress yeah there's something about playing music that's just like heart it's just its own thing that you can you can't really like I don't get the same experience when I'm playing music as I do when I'm taking pictures it's just not this it's just a very different the auditory part of your sensory and listening to the thing that you're playing it's it's just uh if you're really into it it's so cathartic um, yeah, it's very cathartic and I'm not at all religious, but it sort of, you know, if anything kind of relates to anything sort of spiritual is really kind of a, very much an out-of-body experience for me. And, you know, Definitely. it's really kind of cool. It's very, it's very um, hypnotic, you know, sometimes you can do it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Like last night, uh, not to sidetrack too much, but <laughs> um, it was kind of a rough night towards the end of the night. And I just sat down at my keyboard and started playing and instantly felt a little better, you know? Yeah. So, and I yeah. remember. Yeah. yeah. Therapeutic for sure. Yeah. Cathartic. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I heard a quote. It was a long time ago. It was like, music is what feelings sound like. And that kind of stuck with me. Yep. Yeah. So, but, um, Moving on a little bit before we wrap up, uh, I have a couple questions. Uh, what advice would you give to someone wanting to start photography? Like, uh, yeah, so <clears throat> I don't know. That's a really tough question. Yeah, like, like any um, advice? Advice to get, um, advice to give to someone who is starting to like get into the commercial side of photography out, out the gate of um, kind of like coming from, you know, training or like just starting photography in general? Just in general, like what would you, if someone came to you and. Okay. Okay. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I, I got it. Duh. I should have read it that way. I didn't really mm-hmm. was like, how do I interpret that question? There's just some noise, oh, but. Um, all good. Cause there's different aspects. Like you, that was a valid question. <laughs> um, there is something I think that is just ever, ever ongoing topic of conversation that just kind of is, I don't think it'll ever go away. And it's this question about technology you know camera gear like um this emphasis and like kind of like what gear should i buy and like how important is gear and i need the latest greatest mirrorless system with like the largest fastest aperture and mm-hmm. best lens coding and these questions i feel like i get a lot as a teacher and i'm happy to answer them but i think the number one thing that i feel like i would give as an advice to anyone starting photography is not to get too invested in that topic of conversation you know the gear question Mm -hmm. that it's not so much about what kind of tools that you have when you make an image that makes 
a successful photograph. And I think that's like a golden rule that a lot of professors will offer as an advice, you know, so it's not a, it's not a new advice. I'm sure you've heard of it too before that it's not mm -hmm. the tools that make the artists. It's the, it's the way that the tools are, are applied that make, you know, the work of art. Right. Or make the artist, you know, um, you know, interesting as an artist or successful as an artist. Right. And I still think that holds true, even of course with all the latest advancements in technology with our whole camera system, you know, kind of changing. And and I think that's just a really important thing to to just always have that in mind because it can be easy to kind of um, uh, get absorbed too much into you know gear, gear. Yeah. And um, it's an easy um, wormhole to get sucked into because it's uh because these companies are are they're trying to make every dollar they can from advertisement and yeah and easy. there's always something new there's always something new and there's always a reviewer that talks about it and rants about it for four hours and puts it on instagram and blasts it and gets like a million likes and yeah it's like sheen and gloss of like advertisement that that kind of like filters over that that kind of newest and latest product that everybody goes Goo Goo and Gaga for and I and I'm kind of guilty of it sometimes too of course yeah of course it's like yeah it's like that definitely is something that um I would just say just uh don't worry too much about the kind of equipment you have and really just kind of the main thing is to always stay passionate always you know try to keep keep your eye moving and looking at things you know um by uh Look, uh, always keep yourself open and looking at other works that that's really kind of the main thing that for me at least how I grew is just always watching other people's works and being open to other other artists and look at artists outside of photography I think is also a really big one too there's a lot of great work beyond photography you know in mm -hmm. in, uh, in painting and sculpture in um in music and in, in dance and literature yeah and literature um and films and it's just it's just um and photography is a great medium that it's always kind of a feel like has a history of being kind of a sponge and really kind of absorbing all the other disciplines and a lot of artists have come outside of photography kind of coming into you know the medium and contributing to the practice has always always been there i think and at least for a while maybe not always not in the beginning but Mm -hmm. it was just all these chemists and you know scientists but um yeah I think that there's certainly uh importance of like uh finding inspiration in other other practices and um yeah keeping yourself open and and staying passionate really is what it comes down to with most of the arts it's like it's a competitive field because everybody wants to you know it's a dream job to be able to work as a as an artist and uh, avoid the eight to five, you know, pull punch your card, go and walk into an office kind of setting. So the competition is so high. So how do you, how do you stay afloat? Well, it really comes down to just not, you know, it's like the whole golden rule, just being persistent, um, persevering, uh, staying passionate so that you can stay within the field and persevere. Cause that's really what's going to keep you afloat and survive, make you survive in the industry. Right. I feel like that was a perfect answer <laughs> because I, I get asked that question sometimes too by my friends and I'm like, and, and I tell them just, you know, like what you said, just stay, have a passion for it and not, not get wrapped up in gear because there's thousands of YouTube videos 
comparing gear and like you said it's free marketing you know well not free because they go to the people that promote it but yeah it's always the same thing every year when a new camera or lens comes out so um and like you said it's easy to get wrapped up in it because I've done it you know I'll watch the reviews sometimes but I'm like I don't need the brand new lens (laughs) so um yeah thank you for giving people advice because there's a lot of people that are kind of intimidated by photography because because there's so much that goes into it you know not just taking the photo but post-processing you know so yeah thank you for sharing all your gems and your journey in photography and education (laughs) well you're welcome and thank you for having me yeah of course and before we go yeah, like I said, I, I really appreciate you being on here, but can you tell people what is next for you? If you could talk about some stuff that's coming up and where they can follow you to stay updated. Yeah, um, I um, I have my Instagram page where I post my projects and that can be found on my handle. I guess the handle name, account name is... Uh, it's J Cho Photo, so J C H O P H O T O, and you can find my um, my stories and my recent projects I post on that account. It's kind of been slow because I've been pretty pretty busy with um, taking on a you know full time uh, position uh, temporarily right now for the spring mm-hmm. semester, you know. So um, I haven't been too active on my Instagram accounts, sadly, but um, that's okay. I mean it's one of those things where you can always come back to. And, right. and of course, really kind of important that um, I mentioned El Camino College's photo program and yes. where to follow us at El Camino College's Instagram account. And that account is something that I created over this, this past uh, January um, to kind of facilitate like a department, departmental social media to connect with students and current and past students. And that one is called El Camino College Photography. And that's, uh, yeah, that's um, where we post all of our news updates about what's going on in our department. Um, yeah, so um, I have uh, started the account and um, uh, post the news and updates for our department. The most recent one is the show that's running right now. It's fantastic. Some amazing work that's right, um, uh, right, right now is currently up from our current and alumni. Uh, including one of the podcast guests that you just had, uh, Lily, uh, Lily Monet, excuse me. And we um, got a chance to see that show last night and it went really well. I thought the turnout was really nice. Yeah, a it was of, a beautiful exhibit. Yeah, um, and such a, uh, you know, um, emotional one for me since it was, it yeah. was dedicated to our, our late, great, amazing, um, beautiful soul. Daryl and Daryl and Rowan and um, I'm uh, I'm pretty sure she, you know she was around to see it. She'd be she'd be so proud. Oh yeah, she would love it and be proud. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was beautifully done, um, and I love the installation. So yeah, I I loved it. Um, you did a, a an amazing job with it. I know Lily and I were right. talking about how um, it looked like it 
you were going everywhere. She said it looked kind of stressful, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Not that it looked stressful, but um, she oh, was yeah. saying yeah. how you had to take the stuff down from the last one and then put everything up for this one. Yeah. So yeah, yeah there's there a lot of running around. And, you know, I got, I got a lot of help from Maria Reyes and um, uh, thankfully um, a lot of support from the division uh, with the dean and um, music faculty, David Moyer, that yeah. facilitate some live music. And the librarians were all, of course, very, very welcoming to the event. And so, yeah, it was a very intense production, but um, was able to still receive plenty of support and make it possible yeah. so um really excited that it went well last night and it's still open uh till the end of next month of april so if you haven't seen it you can check it out it's on campus it's at the campus library el camino college library if you're not a student and want to still see it you can you just have to go through the health check screening kiosk to receive a band a wristband to enter enter the school uh, and it's free um, and it's uh, open whenever the library is open. I don't know the exact hours, but um, I'll can... link it in the description. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I appreciate it, Zori. Yeah, of course. And um, yeah, I'll link. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for being here. And I'll link your Instagram and your website so people can see your work oh, um, you. on both platforms. So yeah. And like you said, make sure you guys check out the, the exhibit. Um, it's really beautiful. And shout out to Lily for her photos in there. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much, Josh, for being on here. I really appreciate yeah. it. I'm really happy to have done it. And um, uh, can I come back? Yeah, of course. Okay. Whenever okay, cool. you All can right. come back and update us. I always tell people, okay, cool. um, okay. come back to update. Give All us right. updates. <laughs> okay, well, till the next one, we'll, we'll do one soon again. Yes. Yeah, so make sure you guys follow Josh and stay tuned for when he comes back. <laughs> I'll catch you guys in the next one. See you, Zori. Bye. <laughs>